0: Welcome to GM Mastermind, a tabletop RPG podcast that features a panel of Game Masters known as the Brain Trust. In this episode, we will be discussing the ins and outs of being a professional Game Master. Introducing the Brain Trust for this episode. Welcome, Nikki Yeager. Nikki's been a Game Master for over nine years. The games she's GM'd the most include Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, Shadowrun Sixth Edition, Monster of the Week, Necrobiotic, Teens in Space, Lewd Grannies, and Honey Heist. Currently, she's playing D and D Fifth Edition, Teens in Space, Shadowrun Six E, Necrobiotic, Savage Worlds, Deadlands, Monster of the Week, and Vampire the Masquerade. She's the creator of Beholder to No One and Chaotic Wonderful live streams. She can be found on Weave the Tale on Twitch. And also streaming on Two Thousand Tales on YouTube. For professional GMing, she can be found on Start Playing and Tour Guide Games. Keep a lookout for Dice Before Dawn and Sound Control RPG, two future podcasts in the making. Welcome, Don. Don has been a game master for over thirty years. He's GM D and D second all the way to fifth edition everything in between. Call of Cthulhu 6th and 7th Editions, and powered by the Apocalypse games. Most recently, he's playing D&D 5e to include Dragonlance and Dark Sun, as well as heavily modified version of Mothership and Hack Miami, a PBTA cyberpunk game. He is the lead narrative designer for Fallout, the RPG, and Dark Matter for D&D 5th Edition. Sign up for his newsletter, check out his game designs, and his open seats for his ongoing campaigns, at his Patreon. Hello, I'm Sean. I'm the host of the show. Having a 15-year break from RPGs, I've been GMing on and off since 2003. Some of my favorite RPGs to GM include Delta Green, Forbidden Lands, and Fantasy Flight Games Star Wars. I've been gaming on and off since I was a wee lad. Now, on to the episode. Nikki and Don, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. How are ya? having us hi yeah thanks for having us yeah you bet <laughs> all right so today we are talking about professional game mastering and nikki and don are professional game masters it, and i apologize if that's not the right term some people may say well i don't want to be known as a professional gm is that the right moniker
1: but I don't know if there's a better one, at least from, from my perspective, it's literally what I do. Um, and you know, I, I think with Nikki too, you mentioned all those different games that we play. It's not just Dungeons and Dragons. So I think some people say I'm a professional dungeon master, but, uh, we definitely don't
0: just play Dungeons and Dragons. So.
2: I can definitely agree to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've heard the moniker GM for hire thrown around as well. I don't know. Mm-hmm. like that. It's mercenary. Yeah. It sounds
2: like <laughs> it sounds a lot better than looking for paid games because people misunderstand that one and are like, "Wait, you're paying?" I'm like, "No. <laughs> Pay me."
0: Yeah. So, I think to to lay down some of the context around, you know, we had the introduction and some of the games that you both have played and the the games you've game-mastered the most, but not even really touching on how long you've actually been doing game-mastering f- as as like a full-time job or or maybe not so much so nikki i'm gonna start with you quick how long ago did you venture into professional game mastering and what is that is uh is do you consider that your full-time job
2: um i don't consider it my full-time job it's technically a bunch of little part-time jobs that just equal two full-time jobs basically um But I started officially doing it for money last year, so I'm fairly new to the professional side of things. Um, I think I started in June or July of last year.
0: Okay. And Dan, what about you?
1: Uh, Well, I started running games uh, for pay four and a half years ago, and I think initially... I was getting paid to produce or run actual play campaigns, video campaigns on YouTube or Twitch. Um, and about, uh, it was shortly before the pandemic started, October of 2019, I ran, I launched my first private campaign running for people, not on stream or not for performance. Um, and I've been doing it ever
0: since. So when we talk about it, kind of being a, a job or, or what you do for quote unquote a living. What is that? Uh, is that a full 40 hour weeks? Cause I think when we're in the traditional job mindset, right? It's like, well, I work 40 to 50 hours Monday through Friday, eight to five. Um, what, maybe we should start there. There's, I have so many questions and so much like so jazzed about this. So what does that look like for you, Don? Because I think some people also have questions on, like, does that include prep or, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's going to look different a little bit for every single GM based on what they do for their game, you know, what kind of uh, game they run and how much prep they do versus how much uh, is just sort of improvised. But for me... Uh, after a few years of kind of like streamlining my process, uh, one game that I run, one session plus the prep, plus the admin time, plus the communication and the scheduling, it's about 10 hours of work on average. Uh, and it might go, it might vary a little bit in one direction. Uh, so I run between three and four games per week now. And I kind of, uh, w- when one of my campaigns ends, and I know I have like freelance work or some other gig lined up, I'll try to drop down to three so that I can have like 10 hours a week to to write or do whatever else it is that I'm working on. But for a while, I would say for the first almost two years of doing this, I was probably working closer to 80 hours a week. And I just hadn't figured out how to scale my effort, my time, uh, the rates that I was charging to make it sustainable a sustainable living for myself it took me a few years to, to kind of figure that out and get to where i am now which is about 40 hours a week
0: nikki what what was your journey looking like when you
2: um much like dawn's uh, beginning uh mine is probably closer to the longer end but i'm very much an improv dm when it comes to some of my games and i'm very honest about that with my players so i don't necessarily need to prep as much which is fantastic because with everything going on i'm doing 70 80 hours a week with just the professional dming side it's probably about 15 to 20 hours for me right now um with two games and uh one that is sporadic
0: you say 15 hours is that just prep time or per week Um, is your gaming piece
2: prep and gaming
0: prep and gaming so uh 15 hours of that. And you mentioned working 70, 80. Is that doing other things outside of game mastery? Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to keep track of exactly how much of it was specifically towards professional DMing when I have like five or six little things that I do. I gotcha. Okay.
0: And I probably should have started. How do you, how do you, how does one start professional game mastering? How did Nikki, you start off saying, you know what? I, I You know, cause you, you were in corporate america correct like mm-hmm. for 13 years you mentioned to me before we started the show and then uh that you were like i'm kind of done with that and somewhere you woke up and said i'm gonna i'm gonna do this
2: so when i left corporate america i didn't really have a plan and i started doing audio editing first and then i was invited the same month i had quit to a uh, lgbt plus panel for Id Games. And that's where I met Larry Zoll, who created the company. And that's, I asked him, how does one become a tour guide, which is basically a professional DM, but for corporations? Um, And he's like, just sign up. And he approved me. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That was easy. How how do I, like, what's, what do I do? Um, But basically, he finds the people and corporations will hire to uh, do an hour long icebreaker, like team building exercise for people who don't know how to play games. So we'll do Honey Heist or All Out of Bubblegum, like simple games that don't require a lot of effort or training. And that way it's, it was just really easy to slide into that type of system. And then a couple of years or a couple months later, I jumped into start playing dot games, which is where most of my money comes from.
0: So you, you work both of those start playing dot games as well as, um, oh my God, the name Tour, is, guide. tour guide. Thank you.
2: Yes. Um, Tour guide is very sporadic, um, maybe once to three times a month because there's like 30 tour guides and it's based on availability. Um, And then start playing is every Saturday and Sunday night. I have a paid game every single week. Gotcha.
0: And I'm going to go into those maybe briefly uh, a little bit down the road because I think it's like those are two distinct platforms and they do things a little differently. And I'm interested to see how those work because one I think Tour Guide Games got a huge funding, uh, like $6.5 million in funding recently to uh, some venture capitalists, um, which is a great injection of cash flow that I'm interested in and seeing how that works. But um, Don, what is, how did you, I know you've streamed and you're a streamer. As a matter of fact, everybody that isn't privy to our earlier conversation Don, I I ran into on Nikki, I put it out on a Discord server and said, hey, I I could use some guests, you know, and Nikki stepped up and she's like, I do this. I'm like, great, perfect. I would love you to be on this show to cover this topic. Don, I saw on Twitter, who put out basically a tweet and said, hey, I'm a professional game master, ask me anything. And Don was like, I mean, he got, how much do you get paid? And he put it out there and, you know, his candor was quite surprising because salaries always and money's always a touchy subject in the traditional workforce. But I, when he joined, I heard Don's voice and i automatically recognized him from a stream I had watched. And so it's not as, uh, it, it, Don is uh, as lost. World. Yeah. It's a very small world, but how did you start in a similar sense? Did you start out streaming then Don? And then? Um, no,
1: I, I think I came into it. So I, I've been playing tabletop games running them uh, for most of my life and uh, I'm about getting close to turning 40 now so it's been a long time. but one of the things that I did from a very young age uh, until you know maybe about a decade ago is I would write and design and run. They were called multi-user dungeons. they were text-based MMORPGs uh, and I created and ran a bunch that were very role play heavy, very much, very similar to like a tabletop game, but it's all tech space and imagine like if you could just log in at any time. Uh, role play with people, interact with people. Uh, and I, I, you know I was a big part of that text-based uh, RPG community on top of playing tabletop games. And I'd created a game. Uh, the last one that I made was called Atonement. It was a space horror game. And, uh, it, I had a, you know, decent following, uh, for that community is pretty large. And, uh, I decided the campaign ended after like three years, the story, you know, kind of came to a, a good conclusion. And I decided that I, at the same time, I was working in the professional theater industry. So I was stage actor, stage director, and, uh, I had kind of burnt out. I was, uh, a little burnt out on doing theater all the time for my job. Uh, it's it just became pretty emotionally and mentally exhausting, and I wanted to do something that was mine that I owned. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try some things. Uh, so I started bartending, and while I was bartending, I started writing web comics, uh, and I wrote this dark fantasy web comic. Uh, and some of my you know some of my players who uh, played Atonement and some of my other games were into it. And a guy named Will Smith who owned, and this is also small world, uh, created Encounter Roleplay and it owned Encounter Roleplay, which has since become Weave the Tail. Uh He basically, he, he hired me to produce my webcomic for his website. He hired me to uh, write and design a fifth edition dark fantasy campaign book that, that was funded through Kickstarter. And that was the first time I had written anything to be published that way. And he's like, Hey, do you stream? And I was like, what's that mean? I don't, I've never heard this word before. Uh, and he's like, here's a link to our call of Cthulhu game. Uh, just watch this video. Let me know if you would be into that. And I watched it, and it was really theatrical and I just stopped doing theater. Uh, and you know, it was call of Cthulhu, which I love horror. And I was like, I mean, i don't think I have the setup for this, but I'll try it. You know, if you want to have me on as a guest, I'd be happy to give it a shot. And uh, I kept doing it after that. And I started running my own games uh, and I got really into the streaming community. Um, that's a tangent, uh, but but I, I did work, you know, in trying to make it as a professional GM in streaming, which I think is more difficult, more challenging to be a sustainable living. Then opening yourself up for private games and running for corporations or, or for schools, you know, and all these other avenues as well. But I did that for a few years.
0: And so then you you decided to, to venture out on your own and start doing it for individuals or groups. I'm guessing,
1: yeah, I'd had some people reach out to me and said, you know, I'm really not comfortable. You know, I, I don't when I they'd streamed before, but they didn't feel comfortable necessarily on stream uh, with an audience. But they really wanted to play a game Uh, and so they, you know, asked if I'd maybe be interested in putting this together. So I did uh, my first campaign was a Dark Sun campaign that I launched uh, and just sort of to see how it how it would go. And I found that I enjoyed uh, that more than I enjoyed streaming and even more than, uh, you know, even a lot of the random games and home games and convention games that I'd run that everybody was so invested at the table and everybody had so much fun and getting paid for it, um, you know, helped justify me kind of putting more effort into my into my prep and, and the resources that I provided for the players. And uh, then the pandemic happened. Uh, just a few months later, like five months later, and I had another guy reach out to me and say, you know, I really, you know, I, I've watched you play and run games online. I have a group of friends that now that the office is shutting down, uh, we really want to do something together. None of us have ever played D&D before. Would you be interested in putting something together for that? And, and I did for them. Uh, and once I'd had two campaigns going simultaneously, I started to think that, you know, I, I could do this. This is something I could do. That's fantastic.
0: Now, did you both have home groups? And then, and do you, well, let me ask you this do either of you still have home groups that you run for or play with?
2: Uh, yes. I, so on top of DMing for professional, I also DM for podcasting, uh, streaming, and for home games. So I'm the reason why there were so many things that you listed is because I'm actually in like 12 active games some are wow. bi-weekly <laughs> some are weekly but um, I have a problem and
0: <laughs> that's that's a lot of games
2: I have I have a problem and TTRPGs are more is a solution evidently and I just need more of them <laughs> but um, I yeah I started with podcasting. Well, besides home games, I started with podcasting first. And then I just I dipped my toe into streaming, but not with the TTRPG community until January of this year. And then I just dived headfirst into TTRPG streaming. Um, and that was mostly just because like, it was so much fun to just just thrive off of these people a lot of which who had theatrical backgrounds or had experience which I don't like I'm a band nerd I did not go on stage to be the center of attention I was the in the center of the band where nobody else could see me um so the fact that I could thrive off of other people's energy just made it worth it and then I got so into character that I get super emotional and I get super drawn in and I'm like oh my god I need more but um yeah, that's what I like. To, I try to provide that same thing to my players when I am playing running a game. And I have had people tell me, like, you've ruined other GMs for me. And I'm like, I don't know. Is that good? I think that's good. And they're like, yeah, I don't want anybody else to DM for me anymore. Because you like just you literally made a character without realizing it. And then I started dating a person that's just like that NPC. And I'm like, what? They're like, are you magic? I'm like, we're going to have to test this theory. <laughs> If you kiss after you kiss in the game, yes, I'm magic and we're going to have to work out lotto somehow. (laughs) It's just been whatever. I don't know. I don't know how I got here. (laughs) I just keep doing things until it works.
0: It's fantastic. Don, you, you still have a home group. Uh,
1: I, I moved recently, uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic and I'd had a home group. They were my theater friends. We worked at the same theater company for years. Um, And I still play with them when I can. Uh, You know, the older I get, the older my friends get. The older my friends get, the more kids they have, and you know, the more life takes over in one way or another. You know, playing home games. I think the the meme challenge is always like scheduling, right? Like actually being able to play. so I do. I, I so I, we still play when we can. Uh, some of them have gotten into streaming or podcasting themselves a little bit. So when I do, I still do some actual play stuff. And, and when I do it, uh, you know, if they're available, I always reach out to them because I love playing with them. They're great people. Yeah. But where I live now, um, there's really not a, a meaningful tabletop community here. Uh, I've moved to to Florida, uh, and it's a you know it's a relatively you know small town, uh, but I think that I, th- I, I I don't this isn't a cop out, but like the feelings that I get when I run for my groups. And I've I've had really great retention with my professional campaigns. To me, it feels like a home campaign, even though it's virtual, even though we're playing online, people talk and chat in our discord for each campaign throughout the week, they get really excited. Um, You know, whatever I try to bring to it professionally, uh, I also try to bring that feeling that we're making meaningful connections to these people. I care about my players. Uh, they make friends with themselves, people that they didn't know previously, uh, and I think that's I, th- I think that's an absolute must for you to have a successful game. You have to have that kind of camaraderie and, and shared experience.
0: Yeah, the reason I ask is because well, one, you have to split your time at some point, right? You you can play with your friends, um, but they may not pay your way or, or their way in that regard and then you're having to dedicate it to hey if I don't do these things for these two groups you know I may not be able to pay rent next month mm-hmm. so um I just wondered if that is something that you you both balance currently or if it's something where you decided you know the game groups I had in in your case Don you moved which probably plays a little bit of a dynamic in that as well but you know, was it a point where you said, I'm going to move on great playing with these guys or gals and that's fantastic, but I'm going to really, I have to focus on, on this and it's some high, maybe more satisfy. excuse me, more satisfying to pursue that, uh, that path. I don't know. Yeah. I think
1: for my group, uh, when I was doing actual plays, I ran a campaign. It was a Dragonlance campaign. Um, that people really, really responded well to called "May Black Roses Bloom," and I wrapped some of my my friend group, my home group into that because I, you know, I knew they'd love it. I knew they'd be great. A lot of them, some of them were new to actual play to streaming, but I, I was too. I mean, I'd only been doing it for like a year at that point. Uh, and we did together. Um, we turned our home group into a podcast called Dice Tribe. It was like a family friendly. D and D dinosaur kind of you know set and child, uh campaign, and we continue to play that, but we recorded it, and I did the audio editing for that and everything. So for them, it just felt like our home game, and then I tried to turn it into a production afterwards. Uh, and, and so I did. Once I moved professionally, uh, have to make some sacrifices in terms of how many people I could play with. There's so many people in the community that I've become friends with. Uh, and connected to that I I would love to and at one point I don't think I was ever doing Nikki 12 campaigns at one time um, but you know I, I think for a long time I was doing like seven a week or something like that eight a week sometimes uh, and I started to feel myself burning out I started to feel myself creatively mentally burning out uh, and, I didn't want that, so I had to make some sacrifices at some point. I had to increase my rates and kind of rethink my strategy and uh, say, well, you know, I mean, I still keep connected with my friends, but uh, I'm not going to be able to play with them as often, and I'll look forward to the opportunities when I can. But that's something I had to do. Otherwise, I wasn't, I would have have been gone. I would have been out of the community uh, and looking on to doing something entirely different.
2: Um, I think for me, so I only have one home in person game currently, and it's with my best friend. So that game is like not really gonna go anywhere. I, cause I go to hang out with her. Like I, that's the, really the only reason I go. Um, it's not necess- like the story itself is fun, but it's because I'm used to playing with professionals. It's such a laid, relaxed game, and they are like so much talking that it's just like I'm expecting something different. And it's, I'm just like, I'm here to play my best friend. I'm here to see my best friend. But um, I did drop one game that I did online for three years um, when I started streaming more. And I should drop stuff, um, but I tried to keep it balanced by not doing them weekly. So most of my weekend games, except for my paid games, are bi-weekly. So every other week, I just switch between them. So Vampire one week, D&D next, or um, Savage Worlds one week, and teams in space the next so I don't I still have the same amount of games each week just varying which ones they are because I don't want to choose I just want to keep playing all the things
0: yeah how do you because one of the things somebody mentioned was how because we all get burned out I think to some degree Uh, some game masters it's a very real issue and so I'm curious to know how you manage burnout when you're running games and you have to kind of um you know if i don't feel good for maybe a week or two you know i might message the group and say you know i'm i think i'm going to sit this one out but i don't you know, do you have the same type of uh latitude given uh given your arrangement with with clients or customers right
1: so I started doing this before start playing games or Demi plane, which is, has a similar service, uh, launched and I didn't there wasn't really a roadmap. I, I know other people were doing it too, uh, but not as many. And so for me what I did, my approach was to create a subscription service model. So people for me when they play with my one of my games, uh, they sign up for a certain tier on my patreon. Uh, they pay monthly and that tier guarantees them a certain number of games per month and then we have a, a schedule that we we keep uh, I also I used to do weekly for all, most of my games but uh, to try to avoid burnout and give myself more space I do what Nikki was saying bi-weekly campaigns now as well or two per month and that's actually a better better example of what it is because some months have five Wednesdays some months have four Wednesdays um, By doing that, by having it be a subscription service that they pay once a month for, if I need a week off because I'm at a convention, you know, I haven't been to one since the pandemic started, but one day back at a convention, or I need to take a vacation for my mental health, uh, then having that setup makes it a lot easier for me to reschedule those sessions ahead of time. If I have players who need to miss a session because they are sick, or um, you know they have it's their birthday or something, they have plans and they tell me ahead of time. Having the subscription model allows me to kind of reschedule and find ways that work for the group, and I think that that has had a positive impact on my my retention. I think the subscription model has had a positive impact on my retention versus the let's buy a ticket for this specific game this specific day. Um, and it's also helped me as I've gone to weekly or, or two games per month for all my campaigns manage my burnout a little bit better uh, by giving myself the space to take weeks off and, and you need that. Um, you can't do it every week and I think players are understanding of that, they, they get that. Um, but if you don't have the infrastructure to support that if it's like well if i take this week off i don't i'm out all of my money for that week and i can't afford that um, then it makes it really hard to give yourself the space you need
0: yeah how about you nikki and how you manage 12 games and not lose your mind
2: part of the reason why i play in so many games is because of my mental health issues i use games to um because of my anxiety. And with my anxiety, if I hyper fixate on things, I don't have to think about my anxiety anymore. It's just it's not there. It's pretend it's gone. Bye bye. But um, so I stay busy because of those reasons. I do get burnout, though. And like, I've been fighting it on and off for the last four or five months between different things, um, whether it's audio editing or DMing. And while the players themselves are, uh, for the professional games, are understanding and they've told me, like, if you need the day off, it's fine. Take the day off. Like, go ahead. We won't be mad. But I'm the one beating myself up about it because of the reason I'm not going to get paid if I don't run this game today. Um, And unfortunately, I mean, thankfully, I have my husband who is making enough money to cover most of the bills. So we're not relying on that money for like everything. But that is our, like, budget for, like, extra stuff or, like, food or groceries or something like that. And it's just, like, a little bit of extra. So, it's just, it gets a little frustrating, but I beat myself up more than anybody else does. Everybody else is very nice. Um, but I have a terrible retention uh, with startplaying.games, I will say. Um, and everybody who's left has left because of schedule conflicts or because of finances. Um so far nobody has stated they left because of me, which I'm very glad they have emphasized that because I don't need to know if you don't like my games.
0: Yeah, I think some people who may listen to this are wanting to maybe explore. And what does that look like for them compared to to somebody that's been doing that and I think when they don't get all the information, um they may be stepping into to holes that they've never seen before. So, having said that, when you decided to kind of go down this this path, you probably had some things in your mind on how it would kind of play out, or some you know a plan of action. If if you you know want to put it out there like that. Having said that, what did you realize when you actually got into it and had been doing it for three, six, twelve months that you didn't. Anticipate that was kind of a, a surprise to you. Um, once you started doing that and getting into it, you want Nikki? You want to?
2: I think that. Well, first, when I first signed up, I didn't expect anything. Like I, I just signed up and said, "Okay, if something happens, something happens."
0: And start playing games specifically. Correct.
2: Yeah. I start playing tour guides. It was more, "Hey, there's an availability," and I was like, "Yeah, I'm free." I have flexibility, thankfully, because I am a freelancer, so my weekdays are very open, and that's when corporations want to play. Um, So I was usually like, yeah, I'm good on Wednesdays, I'm good on Thursdays, I can do that, whatever, and I just grabbed as many games as possible. Um, With Start Playing, I just signed up and then hoped for the best and got nothing and kind of forgot it existed until I signed up for their mentorship program. And then that's when they actually like were like, oh, hey, here's some tips and tricks on how to do X, how to get attention, how to draw people in. Um, And that helped me actually start to gain people's interest. And the biggest one that they taught, which I was surprised at because it felt weird, but at the same time, I get it. They said, have your friends sign up, but like, don't charge them. Just have them sign up and fill seats. So that people see, hey, you have people already willing to play. So I'm not the first person to sign up for this brand new game with this GM who has minimal reviews and no experience on the site. And that I had two people sign up and then that was enough that two more people signed up and then we had enough for a game. And eventually those friends could leave. um, And when it got to a point that I could afford to like have them leave and get a new person to pay me. It was an agreement we had made previously that at that time you can choose to stay, but if it gets to that point, then you would you would pay if you wanted to remain on the game. And one person did and one person decided to leave. So it worked out in the end. But um, I think the biggest thing that surprised me was the amount of friendship that I've gained over it because the people who have stayed they like legitimately care about each other and like legitimately seem to care about me and like they're like take care of yourself are you okay it's like if you're having a bad day it's fine don't worry about it like they're calm and they're cool when I say I don't remember where we were last week can you just remind me really quick and then like spark my ADHD brain to remember exactly what spot we started on so it's way more relaxed and I wasn't expecting that I was expecting like hardcore gamer style for some reason because that's who I expected would pay for their games and they would want it very specifically a particular way.
0: So maybe even thinking who might be uh, accepting of the those situations could mm-hmm. could be kind of a surprise shock. Versus, I mean, gamers are awesome. They just are. I love. I, I, we love the hobby, I think, for gaming, and then the people that are in it sometimes just really put it over the top. Granted, there's some bad eggs out there, but, you know, it's the
2: same. Yeah, I, I've been very lucky, to I think, not with specifically um, DMing professionally, but I think I've maybe played with five people in t- almost 20 years that I would never play with again that I can remember off the top of my head, at least. Yeah.
0: Don, what about... What about you? Then, that space.
1: Hmm. Um, I think that I I, I love what Nikki said, and I think I had some similar experiences with players. Um, the camaraderie in my professional games is really really great. It means a lot to me. Uh, I think because I spent a number of years uh, working as a bartender and bar manager after doing theater until I could move full-time in my creative uh, endeavors. And I had bartended when I was younger too, so it wasn't a new job to me. It's something I'd done, you know, in college and a little bit after college. I think there's a lot of comparisons to being a good professional game master and bartending. Uh, It's very much about the experience, about making people feel comfortable, about making people feel heard, uh, you know, performing your job as a service, uh, but also, you know, you want to create that sense of home Uh, and people who play games uh, are looking, are looking for, for that. They're looking for an escape for sure, but there's something more communal about games than that, uh, regardless of what style of game you like to play. And so I was, I was worried that by making it a profession that players' expectations uh, would tilt away from that and more towards, well, I you know, I just want everything to be perfect. Nothing ever goes wrong for my character. I don't care about the other player's experience. I only care about my experience. But that's never been the case for any of the players that I've had. They care about each other a lot. And I think you can encourage that with check-ins, uh, safety tools, uh, a lot of different things that you can do to... Focus in on what they're enjoying. Uh, let them give shout-outs to the other players so they're all kind of supporting each other. And also let you know what it is they hope to see more of in the campaign. So like Stars and Wishes is one of the tools that I use in my campaigns. I find it so valuable to know what they want and to help them communicate it too. Because not all players know how to communicate uh, what it is they're looking for. So a lot of active listening and I think it was a good. It, it was a really good surprise to me how much of a community the games felt like. Uh, the other thing that surprised me was probably just how much work it is to do it full time. As I scaled up, uh, I took on a lot of time debt. I, I was running eight campaigns, and most of them were weekly. And uh, I to do them at the level I wanted to. Um, I I overstretched uh, and it took me a while to work out of that time to, to kind of reshape my schedule. And there was some anxiety there around like when I tell my player group, hey, the prices are changing. And also we're, you know, only playing twice a month instead of four times a month. I was worried that, you know, they would be really bummed by that. But I was actually surprised by how many people said, now that the, you know, now that things are starting to change again, I'm starting to go outside more, uh, you know, my job is no longer entirely remote, it's hybrid, uh, going down to twice a month is actually better for me too. Um, so, so that turned out to be a, a very good surprise more recently for me.
0: How is that pressure to, to, to perform when you're doing it professionally? What is that? Um, do you feel that, do you feel that pressure? Is it does it ever go away? Nikki oh, uh, or, or Don, go ahead. No, I was
1: going to say no, <laughs> uh, not for me at least. No, I mean, always some pressure. Uh, I think having a good system, you know, for me, it depends on like how your brain works. My brain, my anxiety level goes down when I have a routine that is repeatable and figuring out how to create the repeatable routine for me so that I can finish my work for this campaign set it aside, I don't think about it again until it's time to review it, to run the next session in two weeks uh, and move my brain to the next thing. That helped me uh, reduce the amount of pressure. But I always, you know, I really care about people's experiences and I want them to have a great time. And that's not a given. Any given week, any given game, it's not a given. So there's always pressure.
2: I think I have, yeah, the same thing. Every single game I play in or run, I have that small bit of uh what if this one's not the one that's good and even games that are just like with friends that I've had people tell me this is fantastic I'm loving it there's always that like spark of doubt in the back of my head like this is the one they're gonna realize that I don't know what I'm doing um no matter how long you've been playing I I don't think imposter syndrome goes away (laughs) um but it is, I agree with the uh, safety tools and the the stars and wishes because that also en- gets the players to encourage each other. But also a lot of times they'll also say something like, I really enjoyed this part about the game. So then I also am reminded that, okay, they did enjoy what I'm doing, which helps with the anxiety. And it sounds egotistical kind of when you're like, yeah, tell me I'm doing good. But um, it's reassuring when they're like, I had a fun game. It was a blast because then I don't go think about it okay what did I do wrong
0: (laughs) yeah that affirmation I think is huge with game mastering in general unless you've been with a group for 10 or 15 years they may kind of blow it off and that's you know because it's just the way things are and go but as you I don't think it's less important but I think you know when you're running for multiple groups different people different games or people that are trying different games you don't know where you stand because there's such a, a dramatic um. well there's such a spectrum of scale on Game Master styles even when running mm. the same adventure so Nikki or Don running the same thing and myself could be three different experiences for the same player but if it's the same you know so I think that's that feedback loop is always I think pretty important even if it's just you know yeah everything's I'm having a great time because sometimes people just don't even say anything. Yeah. So say, hey, if I if there's a problem, you know, I'll let you know.
2: Yeah. And I have friends that are like that where they, they're like, I love your DM style, but and it's like it's not really to me. But it's still like it sucks. But when you were talking earlier, um, Don, about uh, how being a bartender kind of helped you and learn how to work with people in a particular way. It was kind of the same thing because I used to do training and quality analysts, so I had to learn how to talk to people in a very specific way to make sure that they didn't get upset or defensive, which I think has helped me a lot with taking on newbie players. And I love taking on newer players for my games um, because they're, they're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, that's fine. You don't need to. You can be brand new and I will help you along the way as long as you're willing to learn then those are my favorite players because you just have to encourage them how to role play. And that's really the hardest part about it, honestly, if you don't have experience. Um, and having that four years of training and quality analyst experience or eight years of quality analyst experience, I was able to word things in a way that's like, hey, you did really good with this. Uh, here's something you could have worked on that would have made it like, just this much better. So like next time, try to work on that. If they ask for opinions, at least, I won't just pointed out if they didn't specifically ask for ways to improve but real work does help with D&D sometimes that's
0: right um so when you when you have clients or customers do are they individuals do they come to you as a group is it you know somebody that's starting out that maybe can't find their home group and i know some of these are like yes yes and yes but is what is the average that you typically see is it you know, hey, I've been gaming for 20 years and I just want a different experience or something more consistent because let's face it, when there's money involved, there's a certain level of professionalism, right? So it's, you know, if I'm going to pay Don or Nikki for a game, uh, you know, to be so many times a month, I'm probably pretty sure that there isn't going to be any huge scheduling snafus or an ongoing, Oh my God! It's two months down the road, and we still can't get anything on the books. You know, I understand. You know, other things happen, and you need to make accommodations um, for emergencies and and things of that nature. But what does that look like um, for each of you, Don?
1: Um. So, when it comes to uh, scheduling. I think that having a set time, obviously it really helps. Uh, Again, I use a subscription model and I think for me that allows a, it sets the expectation that at least I'll try to reschedule, Um, you know? And if it not, you know, if for instance, somebody has to miss because they have a birthday, I'll try to reschedule the game and if it works for everybody and everybody's down with it, then we'll reschedule it for another date. Uh, Otherwise, you know, People know in my games that, you know, you might have to miss a session and we'll catch up with your character. Um, But in terms of setting the expectations of the players, uh, approaching it professionally, I I think that the more organized you are, the more it's going to help you. Um, I use Discord for our communications. There's any number of ways you can do it. Uh, I try to provide a lot of resources to my players uh, so that it's as easy for them as possible. For newer players, I offer to help manage their character sheets for them, and I teach them the game as they go. Uh, I have some players who are really, really mechanically minded, and I have some players who they are just there for the story. Uh, They don't care about the rules at all. Uh, And, you know, I think when you're a professional GM, you're going to get a lot of different kinds of players with different ideas of like what they're interested in. And so I will always, at the start of a campaign and every now and then throughout a campaign, I'll release like a Google survey and say, hey, what are your favorite parts so far? Rate them. Hey, what kind of things do you want to see going forward? Social intrigue, uh, puzzles, you know, battle maps. Like I'll get a little more specific than that. But that information, those surveys are really helpful to me uh, to know what everybody wants. Uh, And I have some players who I'd say about a third of my business comes from word of mouth. So I have some groups who bring in their friends, you know, players who've had a good experience with me. They'll bring in their friends and they'll join um, I've run, you know, many campaigns and, and a couple of long-term, uh, one I'm still running campaigns for large groups of friends who one person knew me and they talked everybody else into it. And I would say the other two thirds of my business, uh, because I use a subscription model, uh, my patrons, like even if they just back me at like $1 a month or whatever to get my newsletter, they have first dibs on open seats. Uh, and then if I can't fill a seat through my subscribers on my patron, then I'll create a video uh, with like a voiceover and uh, I'll post it on social media like Twitter or wherever. And that's how I'll fill up like my couple of remaining seats if I need to. But I, I really don't have to do that very often when I do. And I think marketing is really important uh, to get those individuals who don't know anybody else. I think that going above and beyond and how you present your campaign, having an idea uh, and a theme for your campaign that people will be compelled by is really, really important. So if everybody does exactly the same thing, exactly the same kind of like image uh, marketing that they post on Twitter or Reddit uh, or, you know, and and start playing, uh, they have like the kind of layout of how a campaign's described when you go to their pages, it's very uh, formulaic. If everybody is doing the exact same thing, then it's harder, I think, for you to stand out from other people. So I try to, when I do marketing, go above and beyond, and that's probably, I would say, uh, how I get those individual players that I've never played with before and who don't know anybody else at the table.
2: Um, for start playing specifically, um, I officially no longer have any of my friends in the game, so it's all people who have joined um either through start playing or through friends of people who were in the game um a lot of them just find me because probably it's like next in line and they're looking for a game that night that's the most common last minute entry and it's been from different ages like different types of people though the two most recent ones kind of are two very extreme differences one person hired me to do a newbie session i started creating whenever i have free time i have a two-hour newbie session where i will help you create a character from start and teach you exactly everything that it means to have that level one character so if you've never played D before you'll know what to do walking in with this character and i explain you might need to make changes based off your dm's discretion etc and all that stuff but um the last one i did they're like yeah i just need to find a game i'm like well i do have an opening you do not have to sign up for it but I do have an opening on Sundays here's what the cost is it's a brand new campaign and they're like actually yeah that sounds like a lot of fun I was actually really excited that you were a woman running the games and I saw a lot of men in the games and I was like kind of intimidated by it because they've tried to get into it before and were intimidated in the real life from it and so that's when they joined but then another person who joined literally today they are they're like I haven't played in 20 years I've never used start playing before you have a game tonight can I join
0: so did like, that that yeah. person come from start playing then? Is that how they <laughs> found you, Nikki?
2: Yep. Okay. Both all of my players currently either came from start playing or from me posting on the uh Wizards of the Coast D&D Discord server. Hmm. But that stopped helping like the first time I posted or two times I got some people from there, but after that I didn't get anybody or I would get people who were like, didn't read the specific requests that I had, which were you have to be 18 or older and it's a paid game. So I always started asking that question because literally every single person who messaged me was under 18 or did not realize it was a paid game. And I don't, because there's romance in my games, sometimes I don't feel comfortable playing with people under 18 um, and having a 19 year old as a, my own kid, I'm like, no, just just be 18, please. Like at least 18. <laughs>
0: Don, do you have the same restrictions as far as age goes?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, eighteen plus, and I've done, um, I've done like kids' birthday party before. Uh, you know, I, I've done a couple of things in person professionally. Uh, I honestly, I enjoy the experience. It might be my age and my uh, worsening hearing. But I find it a lot easier to run online, uh, to be able to hear everybody clearly online than I do in person these days. But I've done that before. uh, And I think it's an entirely awesome way to go. If you love running for kids and you love kids, I I think there's a real opportunity there for professional GMs. Uh, In the same way that if you love team building and improv, that I think corporate is a really great uh, Mm -hmm. avenue for professional GMs. Um, But yeah, 18 plus and um, I think that that's, I think it's wise. Uh, I think, you know, there's already, you're already going to get a disparate, different types of people with different interests. And the more comfortable you can make the entire table, the better. And I, you know, communicating your expectations. This is the cost. This is the time. These are the requirements up front uh, can help just kind of filter. Like Nikki said, sometimes you'll get a lot of people reach out to you and, you know, they haven't. They haven't read or, or they're hoping maybe you'll make uh, an exception for them, uh, you know, cause they're 17, right. Or whatever it is, but by like just being straightforward about that, I think helps. And it also helps for kind of protect your mental energy as well. Sure. There,
0: there is actually a website that does cater just to kids and running D and D or not D it might be just D and D, but I, role playing games and it's only for kids. And, and it's, I think most of the times, um, 30 to 60 minutes sessions, Right. It makes sense. I,
1: I've seen like summer camps too, uh, which I think is just a brilliant idea. I wish there was a D and D summer camp when that
2: I was a kid. So cool.
0: Yeah. Hero <laughs> camps. I think some of them are referred yeah. to as, yeah. Yeah. We have one in the local game store that some of the, some of the folks that are affiliated with, with game hole con and, and uh, DDAL um, have organized some, some hero camps for summer kids for maybe, I don't know if they last three weeks but yeah, the local game store.
2: Go ahead, Nikki. I, I will say that um it's semi related to getting people to join in expectations, but I just remembered a person that reached out to me. Um I don't charge very much. Um I charge $15 per person per hour or $20 per person or not per hour, sorry. $15 per session per person. Um and 20 for my city building game because it requires more effort. And how, um, and
0: how much how long is a session?
2: Uh 3 hours. Okay. So if I have four or five players then it's worth it but um if i only have two players and everybody canceled ahead of time then i will cancel the game because it's not worth it at that point to play the game that night but i did have somebody reach out to me to play and their first question was like do you use or what do you use for your maps like how many images do you use what do you like they were asking a lot of questions i said well it's a lot of theater of the mind but i'll put in a map a basic map so you can understand at least where you are in the fight so we can see because i personally do better if I can tell they're 100 feet away from me in a DD campaign oh if I'm gonna pay $15 then I expect to have da 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 they have like these expectations and I'm like okay have a great day then <laughs> like I'm not gonna change how I play for like that price if you want that go find someone who actually wants to provide that and there's thousands of other DMs that may be willing to provide you exactly that option And some of them are going to charge more money. And maybe I need to up my prices. I don't know. But for now it's like, if you want that, go find someone who does that, who enjoys doing that, who has the time to provide you exactly Mm -hmm. what you look, what you're looking for.
0: Yeah. Expectations are a big one. And, and Don, I know you were commenting on the salary piece and what you were charging and you started out a little bit lower and then they say, if you're, if you've got too much business, the first thing you do is increase your rates. Right, because then you. I I
1: I think that's that was the case for me. Is like if I didn't do that, then I would never get out of time debt. I I would constantly be working eighty hours a week and feel drained creatively. Um, Yeah, I don't mind talking. I I don't. I I think uh, part of the reason I randomly posted on Twitter. I'm not a huge social media user, but I posted on Twitter and and told folks to reach out to me if they had questions. Is because I do think that that that's industry that's new. At least, um, mostly new. There have been people who've been kind of doing it for a while in one way or another, but, but it's picking up spe- steam and it's growing in different ways. And I think it could use some demystification. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I charge right now uh, $350 for a session for the entire table divided by the number of players for that table. Uh, and how and, long uh, is the session? For you, my sessions are between three and a half and four hours, depending on the schedule of that group. But I aim for between three and a half and four hours. Uh, and I would say I started off. You know, I'm not going to say what like streaming. I I made tips basically, and some weeks, uh, some sessions, uh, we I got a lot of tips uh, for you know, especially like maybe a, maybe Black Roses Bloom, the Dragonlands campaign I ran, and in some sessions, uh, it, it, not so much, but. I think I started my first private campaign, uh, $200, maybe 250 uh, per session. So I've increased my rates a fair amount, but not a gigantic amount. Um, But when I did the math on my time, and you know, all the overhead that you you kind of accrue, uh, that was the only way I could do it where I could make it a sustainable living for myself. And, And I do think that Um, I think start playing games is really cool. It's gotten so many people into the profession and it's such a well-designed platform in so many different ways. I would love to see these platforms like start playing or demi-playing do more to push up the bottom rates of what GMs are getting paid uh, so that it is a sustainable living. Because like with, uh, I think you saw this when Uber first came out uh, for Uber drivers initially, The rates that they were getting paid were not a a livable wage. It was not a sustainable wage. And over time, people had to kind of fight to push those platforms to put their workers more in the front of their priorities. And I think that needs to happen with professional GMing. I really, really feel very passionately uh, that GMs should get paid a living wage. Yeah.
2: I, I did the math once, and I have to run 11 games at my current price to make what I was making in corporate and that's not feasible or doable at all even without prep time that's easily 33 hours minimum right there without the prep time without the conversations and then talking and admin and anything like that so it's like i can't do that but um one day one day I'll bump those prices up there are people who charge upwards of $100 per hour, uh, per person um, per session on on there but there are people who charge like 10 still
0: yeah that's uh there's so many questions I have, um, and I know we want to want to be conscious of time and everything. We're getting it to the end of that hour. Uh, how fast it goes. So I want to kind of run through some. Maybe we can kind of blast through some of these, not to leave any anybody hanging that's dying to know about X or Y. Um, so as far as like what what is the biggest misnomer that some people that, that you think is out there as a professional game master? that is just not not accurate that you would want to set the, the record straight
2: that it's unattainable
0: it's unobta- uh-huh. unobtainable is one of the ones
2: yeah like i've had friends who i stream with who are like oh my god you're a professional dm you're at like a next level I'm like you can do it too you just go sign up for the website and promote yourself and work a little bit and you have plenty of people who know and love your podcast or your stream or whatever, like if you put the word out there, I'm sure you'll get people to do it. I didn't know what the heck I was doing when I signed up for it. I still don't know what I'm doing half the time. Like anybody (laughs) can do it as long as you put the energy (laughs) into it.
0: Don, what do you think is one of the big misnomers? Uh,
1: One of them I already touched on, and that's that I think there's some people who are hesitant about paid games to sign up for them because they don't think that it can't compare to my home game with my friends, but that's just not been my experience. I think that the GM, if you're a professional GM, you can create that atmosphere, uh, and if anything, having the financial support and time necessary uh, allows you to do even more to create that atmosphere and help people connect in an age where connection is not always easy. Uh, I think is really valuable. But I think the other thing I see a lot is that. Making your hobby your job is uh, a way to make you hate your hobby. And I think that is absolutely true for some people. Uh, And it's really worth thinking about, uh, I think, why that's true. And I think when you turn it into your job, all of a sudden you're thinking about routines and processes and how can I scale my business. And maybe you're working and prepping and running games a little bit differently than you're used to. And if, you're, if those changes, are you're not in love with them, you don't love that process, it's not the same as running a game for your friends, uh, which may be a process that you really love. And if that's the case, then I think that can be, be true for you. And so the nice thing about professional GMing is you can dip your toe in. Uh, you know, You can start with one campaign that you run once a month, once every two weeks, once every week. Uh, and you you can refine your process. You can scale up a little bit and say, look, that's too much. That makes me not love it as much. Uh, you can kind of take your time with it while you're doing whatever else you do, uh, you know, to put food on the table and, and take care of yourself and the people you love. And I think that's the way to go about it. That if you go all in before testing the waters and knowing if you'll feel the same way, it's really easy to burn out. So I think people are right on that one. Um, but not
0: always. How do you decide what to run? Like, and I say this for context, the the game type and whether it's a one shot, a one session, because a one shot sometimes gets a little gray. Like I'm going to do a one shot scenario, but it takes three sessions. So a mini, maybe a mini arc or the grand, large, long campaign. How do you decide that? Nikki?
2: Um, I did campaigns because I was hoping to get a group of people that were interested. I I do one shots for my podcast and it's a lot more time consuming to find people for one episode or one three hour session than it is to find people that are wanting something long term. but I, as for the game specifically though, I went with d d just because it's the most popular and it was the easiest to fill. Um, I will be adding some games in the near future for Necrobiotic, which is an indie TTRPG game, but that's because the creator of Necrobiotic has, is going to be purposefully pushing to for people to go sign up to try the game with me. So I will have advertisement to join this game that is newer that most people don't know about um but that's the only reason why i'm willing to do it but i want to try other games but i don't have the experience and i feel comfortable doing it or i don't think i'm going to get enough people to actually justify having it up on my schedule and cutting that three hours aside
1: I love what Nikki said earlier. One of the things that she does is she offers like a newbie, uh, new player sessions, a couple of hours. I'll help you create your character and kind of teach you the rules so that when you go play your game, whether it's with me or somebody else, uh, you feel confident. I think that's great. Um, I think one shots require on average more prep time, more work, uh, more signups, which is more marketing, which is more advertising, which is more work. I don't think, I and I think that the way to do it for people who run short campaigns or one shots is if they're running maybe the same module over and over again for different groups, which is a legitimate way to go about things. I think I would, it depends on like who you are as a GM, I would, I think I would burn out doing that. I always try to run original campaigns and ongoing campaigns means that the group stays together longer. They build more camaraderie. Um, and creatively, it's a little bit more fulfilling, but I don't, most of my games are d and 5th edition, uh, but I don't necessarily say that when I pitch a game you know, on social media or to my patrons, that it's gonna be D&D 5 I come up with a core concept. Uh, if there's a setting involved like Dragonlance or Dark Sun, I'll say that this is gonna be a Dark Sun game and a Dragonlance game. Uh, but once I have the player's interest in the concept, Then I pitch them different systems and I create a survey uh, and the survey also is like, hey, are you more interested in theater of the mind? Are you more interested in battle maps? Because some people, and I can't remember the term right now, um, but there's a a condition that a lot of people have. They can't visualize uh, things in their mind.
2: Aphastasia?
1: That's the one. Uh, and, And so for those players... Battle maps are essential for them to be able to even understand what's going on. And some people, you know, they need to turn that off, not look at the map, so that they can imagine and enjoy their imagination. So knowing everybody's needs early on and giving them some options of systems. Most of the time, D and D is the most popular game, and most of my groups, especially new players, are most interested in trying that. But once one campaign ends, sometimes that group's like, you know what, we've been playing D and for a while now. Uh, let's try Mothership, and
2: uh, you know, and, and
1: or what? Uh, Call a Cthulhu or another game. Um, that's that, that's how I go about it, though.
2: I, I honestly would like to try to switch towards a like what how you have it in the near like not now but like in the future because that sounds like it would actually be a lot more feasible and possibly give me the option to play the games that i want to play because i like dnd don't get me wrong but there are so many cool games out there that i want to play and i'm like half of my games are dnd right now it's so like i would like one of my games to be d and everything else be something else Just a different game every day of the week
0: yeah so many games All right. Last thing before we sign off. Okay. I'm listening to this episode. I might want to try my hand at becoming a professional game master. What is the one or two points of advice you would give somebody that is exploring this as an option?
2: If you're not having fun, then don't do it anymore. (laughs) It's like with dipping your toe in the water and trying it out, do that first. Um, try it I also personally think if you're going to first try it try it with some friends in the group because then you know you are comfortable with those people that you've played with before and that made it so much easier for me to get into playing with complete strangers that I kn- didn't know or I didn't um I played with strangers before but it's always people who have podcasting or streaming experience so they have a per- particular type of uh experience level or um ability level I guess would be the right term um, so when i'm playing with complete strangers with limited experience and no computer knowledge and things like that having people i know i trust and enjoy playing with makes that game easier to flow and then those friends also can very easily help direct the rest of the group in the direction that we may need to go to kind of help a little bit if you're getting overwhelmed um i think the second one is know your worth um and that's a hard one for everybody because I know I'm undercharging. Um, but even with audio editing, I undercharged and then increased my prices twice now in the last year, and I need to do it again. It's just like know what your value and time is, and do all of the time, not just the time you're playing, because otherwise, you're making less than minimum wage, and you realize when it's too late.
0: <laughs> it's funny when we say creators should get paid, and then we we say, but I, I I'm gonna, but I, I have such a low rate. You know,
2: it's a hard it's a hard thing to fight because you're like, I should charge more. But also
0: (laughs) Dan,
1: I think, you know, imagine that you're trying to you. You love cooking and you want to be a private chef, uh, which, you know, is a viable career. Uh, I think GMing professionally is a lot of the same thing. You have to really think about, you know, Uh, being self-critical in an honest way with yourself what makes you unique and special as a game master and everybody has their own strengths that they bring to gming and what what don't you do as well or or what don't you focus on what can you improve you have to be aggressive about being as good as you can possibly be uh, if you want to draw people to you and keep them in your games And you always be evolving um, and that that's hard and it requires you know really like constantly checking in with yourself and checking in with your players. But I think that's the that's the main thing that uh, can help you in, in terms of longevity uh, and I'd say the other thing that people don't really talk about or understand is like, how do I market myself? And I'm not a marketing genius. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not at all. Uh, but I one thing that I know from being in online communities for, you know, a long time, over 30 years, is that the landscape of online and online platforms constantly changes. Uh, there's constantly platforms that are losing popularity become oversaturated uh, with too many voices that it's harder for you to get heard or seen than new platforms that are creating new opportunities. So I think I was lucky in that I got in on tabletop uh, streaming fairly early on. Uh, I think that if I were to take the same path that I, I took then right now, that I probably wouldn't be as successful relatively, right, as I am. Uh, but constantly being looking to what are the new platforms, what's the next thing where I might actually be able to have my voice heard more easily um, is, I think, really important if you're an online creator in any industry. And, you know, maybe that's TikTok right now. Maybe TikTok's already old at this point. I don't honestly know. Uh, But there's always going to be a next thing. And I think it's important to uh, research and anticipate and, uh, you know, don't follow necessarily and the things people, other people have done their footsteps because, uh, you're, you might experience diminishing returns that way. You kind of have to find your own path. And I I think that's, that's the best advice I can give. That's fantastic.
0: All good stuff. I really appreciate you two taking time to be on the show. I really do. I know, uh, this is going to be very intriguing to many folks out there and, uh, we're going to have links to as many resources as possible to include uh, Nikki and Don's Twitter accounts and some of the things that they have going on. So check the show notes for all those details. But uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the show. I can't, I can't express that enough. Um, so that's it for this episode. And I'll just sign off by saying, just be a positive force, the tabletop RPG hobby. This episode of GM Mastermind Produced with the help from the following members of the mind Joe Swick, Zagrave, Merkel Froelich, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Polish Ogre, Larry Hollis, Who's Carl, Harrigan, Farty McButterpants, Laramie Wall, Matthew Helsby, Aaron Relia, Wayne Peacock, Ron Bishop, Ghost GM, Old School DM, Craig Shipman, Larry Hout, and John Mahoney. Hey everyone, we're just starting out in this podcast. If you could do me a favor and let other folks know about it and have them subscribe or maybe give us a listen, that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for supporting the show and being a member of The Mind.